Well, familiar name is back in power in the Philippines. Ferdinand Marcos Jr., better known as Bong Bong, son of the late Philippine dictator of the same name, Ferdinand Marcos, is headed for election victory. He will become the country's next president, 36 years after protesters drove his father from office and into exile. Here is Marcos Jr. addressing the nation. I want to thank you for all that you have done for us. There are thousands of you out there, volunteers, parallel groups, political leaders that have uh, cast their lot with us uh, because of their belief in uh, our message of uh, unity, because of their belief. That is Ferdinand Marcos, Jr., president-elect, it would seem, of the Philippines tonight. He appears to have an, or had an insurmountable lead at last look over his main rival, current vice president, Lenny Robredo. Uh, she actually defeated Marcos for that vice presidency back in 2017, so you can see some names reoccurring in power. Marcos will succeed Rodrigo Duterte, whose daughter Sarah was elected separately as vice president. Uh, so you have two famous names now at the top, a Marcos and a Duterte. All this... As I mentioned, 36 years after his father and the family, including wife Imelda, who was famous for that vast shoe collection, were driven into exile by the People Power Revolution. Well, he ruled, uh, Ferdinand Marcos ruled from 65 to 86, and under martial law from 72 until 81, he kept most of that martial law in power until he was disposed again in 1986. It is a very fascinating story in an always fascinating country when it comes to politics. And joining me now to discuss it is Lenora Angeles. She's a professor with expertise in the Philippines at UBC uh, and its politics, and who's also served as an election monitor at the Philippines Consulate in Vancouver on Monday. Lenora, thank you so much for your time tonight. You're welcome. Thanks for the invitation. It is always fascinating uh, to watch Filipino politics from a distance. Um, the return of Marcos to the uninitiated seems like quite the resurrection, 36 years, for those of us who remember 1986. Uh, what was his pitch in this election that allowed him to win? There are a number of promises that uh, the Marcos uh, Duterte uh, gave to the Filipino people with this election. One, of course, is uh, unity, uh, which is, of course, uh, rather strange because they're the most divisive uh, personalities uh, in Philippine politics today. And uh, there's also, of course, the promise of uh, basic uh, reforms, uh, you know, the usual that you hear from uh, politicians, uh, ending corruption, uh, Ending poverty, uh, livelihoods, uh, jobs, uh, continuation of the labor migration policy to ensure that Filipinos will have access to uh, work abroad. Uh, there's also promise to, uh, you know, uh, continue the, the the war on drugs, which was, of course, uh, the main uh, platform that uh, President Rodrigo Duterte. Uh, uh, rode on in the 2016 uh, national election. So there is really that continuation of uh, the Duterte uh, uh, government uh, policies through uh, his daughter, uh, Sarah, who, who won right. uh, the vice presidency. The opposition tried to mount... Uh, something here. I know there was a lot of push specifically within Manila, I gather, but it didn't work. I mean, this was quite a, a resounding victory for uh, for Rodrigo, for for, uh, for Junior. 
Yes, definitely. Uh, there are, of course, uh, ongoing uh, protests still uh, coming from uh, the opposition, uh, from the supporters of uh, Vice President Lenny Robredo, who I would say really uh, run on uh, good governance uh, and transparency and grassroots uh, volunteerism uh, campaign. Uh, I still think that she's the best candidate of all. Uh, but politics, we have to remember, it's a game of numbers. You know, sadly, it's not about the quality of candidates, um, but the quantity of votes that they receive during elections that matter. And I think we really need to get at the roots of why uh, the Marcus and the Duterte team uh, received the most number of votes. Uh, this is, of course, uh, you know, despite, you know, allegations of disenfranchisement of uh, uh, many people, uh, vote buying and other irregularities that are being documented by, by the opposition. But generally, there is a feeling that um, the fears of the opposition have really become a reality since uh, the Marcus and the Duterte uh, political dynasties teamed up together, supported, of course, by uh, former President Joseph Estrada and right. uh, former President uh, Gloria Macapagal Arroyo. So it's it's really you know this this four political dynasties um, that were powerful enough to uh, garner the most number of votes uh, from the three geographic regions of the Philippines, Luzon. Uh, the Northern Luzon in particular, where the Marcuses come from, uh, the right. Visayas, where the Mar Mar Marcuses, Romualdes Marcuses were strong, and uh, of course the Dutertes in the Visayas in Mindanao. I guess from an outsider's point of view, when you look at this and you hear that a Marcos has campaigned on, you know, anti-corruption, on eradicating poverty and, and, and unifying, and you think back to his father, uh, it's how, how did the Marcos name get resurrected or at least get, get cleansed in Filipino, in the Filipino, in the Filipino mind, so to speak? Well, three things, money. Machinery and social media. Money, wow, of okay. course, uh, leads mm -hmm. to, uh, it, it used to be guns, uh, goons and gold. You know, there's still that right. element. But it, it, and of course, the, you know, the promise of gold uh, and uh, that was circulating in social media, which to some people are really laughable, you know, that uh, there's so much gold in the Marcuses that they'll use to repay um, uh, the Philippine debt, for instance. But it's right. really about promises that are often hard to believe and too good to be true that unfortunately um, many Filipinos uh, uh, believed uh, because of the social media news feeds that they get on a daily basis from uh, Facebook in particular. You see, Filipinos are among the world's uh, um, highest users of, of social media. It comes whenever they get their uh, um, their phones, their cell phones, and they don't have to uh, 
to pay for, uh, you know, Facebook and Messenger um, being installed uh, on their phones, it automatically comes with the service. But they don't have the money, unfortunately, to check the veracity, the credibility of the sources of information, because that would mean uh, having an access to the Internet and, and, you know, check facts. So there's a lot of lies and disinformation uh, on the one hand to uh, uh, project a positive images of the Marcuses, um, you know, essentially revise uh, Philippine martial law history and that erasure of uh, the Marcuses um, uh, past since, if you uh, will yeah. call it uh, that. Uh, the certainly the ill-gotten wealth, the uh, extravagance, the excesses of of the regime, particularly under martial law, uh, the massive violations of uh, you know human rights. A lot of uh, um, activists during that period, uh, you know, uh, were disappeared, or got tortured, and. Uh, Assassinations, uh, I remember. Illegally, <laughs> yeah. right? So yeah. there's a lot of that that, that happened. Yeah. Plus, the disinformation and lies to tarnish the opposition, particularly uh, uh, Vice President Lenny Robredo. So right. they erase basically uh, her credentials, uh, uh, little of her intelligence, um, and of course, um, uh, erase her public record as a civil servant or, or discredit that record. So and it's only those who really do a lot of careful fact-checking um, and who can do their independent search on the Internet. Many people on the opposition camp don't realize that there's that big factor. People cannot access, uh, use their own critical thinking faculties to... Uh, verify the information that's being fed uh, to them by uh, pro-Marcus forces and pro well, forces as well. Yeah, it, seem, it seems like quite the rewriting of history in a short period of time. We'll take a very short break. I'm speaking with Lenora Angelis. She's a professor at UBC uh, with expertise in the Philippines and its politics. Um, we're talking about the victory of, uh, of uh, Marcos Jr., uh, Ferdinand Marcos Jr. You may remember his father, who he and his wife, uh, Amelda, uh, her of the shoes. I always remember that shoe story. Right? I, was, I was a teenager, so that really stood out to me. Uh, but certainly Ferdinand Marcos was one of the more uh, notorious uh, despots of the, uh, of the later 20th century. His son is now president of, uh, or president-elect of the Philippines. We'll talk a bit about what that means for the Philippines going forward uh, after this. We're talking about the Philippines uh, this half hour and a return to power for a familiar name, Ferdinand Marcos Jr., son of Ferdinand Marcos, who you may remember uh, was essentially kicked out of power, exiled back in 1986 alongside with his wife Imelda and family uh, after a popular uprising against years of corruption and martial law. Well, now his son is the president-elect of the Philippines, and I've been speaking with uh, Lenora Angelis, a professor at UBC, about how that uh, resurrection came to be and how the past has been rewritten in some ways to uh, shine a more positive light on the Marcos years. Um, Lenora, th th there certainly are some 
issues at hand in the Philippines now that are still uh, very challenging, uh, including, uh, you know, there is still the insurrection in the South. There's there's obviously economic issues after COVID. There's a rebuild going on. Uh, lots of stuff to worry about. Um, is Bong Bong, as he's known, up to the task of running the country? Well, he has uh, been senator for um, some time now. And, of course, the popularity of the Marcus name is still there. Um, I am convinced, Ben, that um, the role of uh, social media and, and I'd say algorithmic injustice, as we call it in, in academia, right. when Bongbong Marcos lost uh, to Lenny Robredo as vice president in 2016, he knew he had to work harder. And that's when the family asked Cambridge Analytica. You know the same outfit? Uh, yes, indeed. I believe based in Victoria, if, if you recall, uh, <laughs> that helped uh, catapult uh, Donald Trump to, to power. Um, they were approached by uh, the Marcus family to help uh, uh, basically uh, dust up, um, refurbish the, the, the Marcus name. And um, es- essentially, uh, let Filipinos forget uh, this historical amnesia uh, that, that, that happened, especially among those uh, who don't have uh, clear memories of martial law anymore. Uh, yeah. And there's practically gonna, several generations already. Yeah, since, I was, was going to uh, say, I mean, the Philippines, Philippines, Philippines is still a young country. A lot of people who voted uh, yesterday won't have been really won't have been around for the uh, for the Marcos years. I imagine a lot of them. Exactly, and there's also older generations of people. I would say who have remained Marcos loyalists. I mean, that's the term that um, you know we have uh, used during the the post Marcos period, who uh, were of course uh, against all you know the the post Marcos. Uh, liberal democratic governments uh, that happened from Aquino one to to Aquino two. Um, you ask on whether he's up to task. I would say com- compared to to um, Vice President Lenny Robredo, who had experience in all three levels of the government, the judiciary, the legislative and executive power. Uh, Bongbong Marcos is uh, not a lawyer. There is of course. Uh, you know, claims that uh, he didn't even finish um, his uh, alleged master's degree uh, at, at, at Wharton and, of course, his bachelor's degree in, uh, at Oxford. Uh, he just simply got a diploma. Um, there is certainly, um, you know, some experience being an executive of uh, Ilocos. Uh, he was uh, governor and and. And of course, as a legislator, as Congress presented, eventually senator, um, but his performance by all independent observers had been rather uh, lackluster. Uh, the bills he sponsored were not uh, really as weighty as some of the, you know, big shot senators that we have seen in the Philippines, and so he did not attend uh, any major debate uh, with uh, the other candidates yeah. who. Um, put themselves out there to be assessed by the Filipino people for their ability to uh, think on their feet and defend their agenda. And I think he was advised, apparently, by Cambridge Analytica uh, not to appear because that will expose, uh, 
his uh, inability to to ask answer questions and address um, you know uh, immediate uh, questions about his uh, legacy about uh, uh, the the Marcus's past and every time uh, he speaks in public um, his um, ratings in the polls drop and so that's the main reason why the this very strategic, uh, you know, crafting of the Marcus uh, persona um, really, in a way, uh, hid his witnesses to the general public. He Nora could Angeles, not. I, even I'm almost out of time here. I apologize. I apologize for for this. We're almost out of time. So thank you so much for the insight into Ferdinand Marcos Jr. I guess we're going to see how he performs over the next five years or so. And I'd love to have you back on. We can talk about this in a few more months to see where he's at. Uh, Lenore Angeles, thank you so much for your time tonight. Sure, Ben. Anytime. Take care.